Amen. So if you want to grab your Bible, open it up straight over to Daniel. We're going to be looking at Daniel this morning. A few weeks ago, we started this series that we're calling Make Up Your Mind. It comes from uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, where it says that Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. ESV, the translation that many of you have, says that he resolved. And so we're calling this series Make Up Your Mind. And here's why. What we learn from this story, this is the very first chapter of this, uh, this book of Daniel, is something quickly really stands out. And that was when Daniel was given the opportunity to compromise in his, his faith in the Lord, he doesn't. And it says that Daniel made up his mind. And, and what this decision does for Daniel at a young age, he was a teenage boy, what it does is it really sets in motion the trajectory of, of Daniel's life. And so here's really what we need to start with this morning, I think is most appropriate, is, is, is this concept of, of making up your mind. And, 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 and some of us maybe need to, to really get to a place where we make up our mind on the greatest decision that a person could ever make, and that is the decision of what would we do with Jesus Christ. And so my question, I guess, to all of us starting out here is, have you made up your mind? I don't want to assume that anybody has really made up, up their mind. So let's ask ourselves, have we made up our mind? This is not really the decision that, like any other day-to-day decision, that we can just kind of vacillate on. This is a, a big decision where God and eternity are at stake if the claims of the Bible are, are true. And so it's nothing that we can just simply be apathetic on, but we need to make up our mind. Do we follow this or do we not? Where I think many of us straddle the fence and Jesus himself says, you cannot serve two masters. We know that you cannot serve two masters. Either you have placed faith in Jesus alone or, or you haven't. And so here's the message. It comes from beginning in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The scriptures tell us that all have sinned against the life giver, the creator, God. And Romans 6.23 says that the result of our sin, the wage of our sin, the natural consequence from turning from the one who breathed life into us, his creation, the natural result of that is death. And that's why physically we are all passing. That's why emotionally we are all, all passing. That's why there's so much hurt in the world. That's why there's so much agony and turmoil in people's souls because we are in fact, dying spiritually and, and physically. But God is the giver of second chances. And God says, I want to give you a second chance. I offer you life and life eternally again. Though you turn your back on me, I want to offer that. And what he does is he does the only thing that he could do that would make this right. And that is he says, I will become one of you. I will live perfectly the life that you couldn't live. And I will die the death that I don't deserve because I lived perfectly and I will die that on your behalf. And what that does is it serves as a substitutionary payment for our sin. And in history, it's called the great exchange where God says, I give you my righteousness for your unrighteousness. And he takes our unrighteousness upon himself on the cross. And so now if we would place complete faith in that sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, his defeat of Satan, sin, and death. Scriptures say if we would do that by faith, we would be saved, not of ourselves, so that we can't boast. It's not our works, but it is a gift of God. And so that's the message. That's the message. It's so freeing. It's so liberating. It makes us crazy about Jesus. We're just crazy about Jesus because of that message. And so the call initially this morning is, again, have you made up your mind? 
Have you decided what will I do with the truth of Jesus? Or will I stand here like we talked about last week, like my, my child at a store where he wanted this kind of drink and he wanted this kind of drink and he said, I just want both. And he just held on and, and held on and held on. Will we stand there saying, I want Jesus and the world? Or will we say, I want Jesus, I want Jesus, I want Jesus. And so we need to make up our minds and determine, are we living in the middle or have we really, like Daniel, made up our minds that we will live for the Lord? And, and, and some of us, some of us in here, we are our followers of Jesus, but we do have this tendency, this struggle at times to go back to this mediocrity, to go back to living in, in the middle and, and we find ourselves wanting not only to please God, but also to please the world. And so what we're doing is we're again entering into this position where we're saying, I want both, I want both, I want both. And, and the call is to make up our mind, keeping in mind that in the end, in the end, the one that we are to please is the Lord. And God is satisfied when we put complete faith in him. And so that was why we named this series Make Up Your Mind, stemming from Daniel chapter 1, because that decision for Daniel as a young man really sets the, the trajectory of his entire life. And so this morning, as we continue on, I just want to give you a quick reminder of, of what has happened so far as we've looked at the scriptures. Just a quick reminder to get you up to speed. What's happened is Daniel and a bunch of, of young teenage boys, the, the princes, the nobles, the, the cream of the crop of of the southern kingdom of, of Israel are taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon and brought over to Babylon so that Nebuchadnezzar could stack his empire with the best of the best. He puts them in this three-year training program. He, he gives them the best food. He gives them the king's choice wine. But what would happen by taking that food is it would be a compromise of their faith in the Lord. And so Daniel says, I will make up my mind. Three of his buddies say, we will make up our mind. We will not defile ourselves. And so they put forth a request saying that can we only eat vegetables and and, and drink only water rather than the food that that has been offered to us and the wine that has been offered to us. And and the the, the leader says, the king will kill me. He will have my head if you don't look as well as these others. It actually says if you don't look as fat as the other youth. And so Daniel says, how about this? Give us 10 days. We saw last week. 10 days of eating vegetables and drinking only water. And so they do that. And after 10 days, it says that they look better than all the rest. And so there's a first huge testimony uh, to the power of God in the empire of of Babylon as they're back in Babylon. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to skip forward a few chapters. I typically don't do this, but because of the grand opening, uh, we're going to have to skip ahead a few chapters. And what we're doing with the life of Daniel is we are, are, are looking at just some really defining moments in his life. I would encourage you to read the, the next few chapters of the life of Daniel. Uh, I'll kind of give you a bit of a, of a recap. But we're going to skip forward to Daniel chapter 6 this morning. And uh, look at this important moment in his life. We're going to see in Daniel's uh, life this morning just a glimpse into his personal personal life. What Daniel is behind closed doors and Daniel is the author he's inspired of God to to write this and and so we're going to see Daniel behind closed doors this morning I think this is really important that he gives us this glimpse I'd first ask you this what would be seen of you if you were to have your personal life exposed uh, for others to see and and I want you to think about that for a second what would be seen of you 
if people were to have your personal life exposed. Think about this. Michael Jordan. We all love Michael Jordan. We picture this big guy in the air with his legs spread and his tongue hanging out of his mouth. He was famous for that. Would Michael Jordan have become the greatest basketball player to ever live? I guess guess it's debatable now with LeBron. But would he have become the greatest basketball player to ever live if he simply only showed up to his practices? Would Lance Armstrong be the greatest road biker to ever live if he simply jumped on a bike? Would Bill Gates or Steve Jobs become the men that they are in the computer industry if they simply went to school, opened the books, and did only what was required of them? The answer is, of course not, right? Jordan is Jordan because at home, he was practicing layups, he was shooting, he was dunking, he was conditioning. Armstrong is the Lance Armstrong with the famous yellow bracelets because of the discipline at home, because of the lifting at home, because of the diet at home. Gates and Jobs were, were the, the men and have become the men that they've become in the industry because at home they're spending hours and hours and hours and hours on the computer typing code and, and, and learning and, 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 and studying the industry. And so here's what I'm getting at. This is important. Who you are in public is a direct reflection of who you are in private. I want to say that again, and I just pray that that will sink in. Who you are in public is a direct reflection of who you are in private. Great marathon runners become great marathon runners because of their discipline in their diet and their running when nobody else is looking. We like to watch them cross the finish line at the Boston Marathon. I love that. That was fun. I've seen that a couple times. But they are who they are because of who they are in private. I think also about great musicians. They don't just simply get up on a stage and play a great concert. Great musicians are great musicians and perform perform well in public because of their practice in private. And I want you to see this as we look throughout Scripture as we study the, the Bible, we see that men and women who have been used of God to do amazing things for him have this powerful private life with God behind closed doors when no one else is looking. And so we ended uh, Daniel chapter 1 last week. In Daniel chapter 2, in Daniel chapter 3, in Daniel chapter 4 and 5, we see Daniel being used of God just further and further and greater and greater and greater. He's used of God to do things like interpret dreams, to interpret inscriptions on, on the wall for the kings and in and, and, and this foreign empire of Babylon. And uh, it's because back in Daniel chapter 2, we see that Daniel is promoted from just the youth that we saw in Daniel chapter 1, fresh out of this three-year training program. But in Daniel chapter 2, he is promoted to ruler of the whole province of Babylon. Now, I want you to to catch this, make sure we get this right. Uh, Daniel was not the ruler of the Babylonian Empire. He was the ruler of the province of Babylon. For example, we know that there was the Roman Empire, and then there was the city of Rome. Likewise, Daniel would be the ruler of the city, but not the ruler of the entire empire. He was made a governor the governor of, of Babylon. And so God raised Daniel to this powerful position we see in these, these next up-and-coming chapters leading to chapter 6. God raised him up because of a decision that he made as a young boy that he would not defile himself. He would live for the Lord. 
but his influence for God in, in the public sphere comes from his private life with the Lord. And, and one of the major things that Daniel has become known for in history is Daniel's private prayer life. And so Daniel chapter 6, we're going to get a glimpse at his, his private prayer life. So Daniel chapter 6, 1, 2, and 3. Let's read it. It says, it pleased Darius. So now we're, now we're out of Nebuchadnezzar. We've moved on in the, the following chapters to Belshazzar. And, and now we're to Darius. So what we've been seeing is that there's been this transfer of power in the empire. So chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So we'll stop there. So, years later, from Daniel chapter 1, Daniel has been growing in influence. God has been doing a great thing. He's been promoted now we're at this place as, as the, the power has been transferred that, that Darius appoints 120 uh, satraps or governors over different provinces of the kingdom. And Daniel was one. And then he was to appoint three over all 120. And Daniel was one of these. So Daniel was one of the presidents, three presidents over the entire empire. So Daniel and two other guys of the 120 have this incredible leadership position. But check out verse 3 again. It says, Daniel began distinguishing himself among the presidents and, and satraps. So Daniel begins to further distinguish himself. I mean, he's already been used of the Lord in incredible ways, but now he further distinguishes himself. Why? It says because he has an excellent spirit. Now, that's an important little phrase that we need to latch on to for a second. He has an excellent spirit. Those exact words were also used in, in Daniel chapter 5, verse 12, that he has an excellent spirit. Other translations say extraordinary spirit. It was because of that spirit that, that, that uh, the king was now planning on making him the leader of all three presidents over all 120 governors that he would become a leader of the leaders of the kingdom. So this is incredible. Think about this. This starts with just a young boy who has been exiled from his home into Babylon. He says, I will not defile myself. And God raises him up to this place of incredible influence. And I just pray that our spirits would become the kinds of spirits that we see here and in other men and women of God in Scripture, the kind of people that have what the Scripture calls this excellent spirit, where your spirit stands out, where people say there's something different about him. There's something incredibly different about her. We've already seen that God has given Daniel these gifts that set him apart, these gifts that make him useful, not just to his, his people. That's important, right? Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, make it very clear that we have been given gifts to be useful for each other, to edify each other. But those also spill out, and we should be people who have influence in our culture and people outside of, of the doors of, of the church. And so God gave Daniel gifts that set him apart, not just with his people and not just encourage his people like the visions of the second half of, of Daniel, but also impact kings and, and, and the kingdom and, and the people. And he has this extraordinary 
uh, amount of influence in, in the region. It's incredible. In public, Daniel's spirit stood out. Let's read on, though. Look at verse 4. It goes on. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against, against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Things never change, do they? I mean, this is exactly the same thing that happens today. When somebody does well for themselves, when something good or really incredible happens in the lives of people in in the public eye, people want to take them out, don't they? I mean, you you flip on the, the television in the early evening and you have... TMZ and you have entertainment tonight and you can open up the magazines and you can go at the checkout line at the grocery store and you can see all these evidences of people trying to dig up the dirt to knock people down when they seem to be doing well and so they were ready to take out this guy Daniel who was gaining ground who was gaining influence he was a foreigner for crying out loud they were upset and they wanted to take him out but it says They could find no fault with Daniel. And it says that twice. They could find no fault with Daniel. Transition into the New Testament. Uh, Timothy chapter, uh, uh, or Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about leaders of the church are to be above reproach. Elders of the church are to be above reproach. What this literally means in the original language is that it shouldn't, there should be no blame that sticks. You should be above reproach reproach guess what though this is this is really important i think daniel wasn't a church leader daniel wasn't a priest and i think a lot of us have this wrong mindset that that extraordinary things for god are are left to the professional christians right that the pastors the missionaries the the people who are our campus ministers and the people who are are out in the foreign parts of the world that, those are the people who, who are going to do extraordinary things for God. But what's so important to see is that Daniel wasn't a priest. Daniel was a guy who entered into the public eye and did incredible things for the Lord. He wasn't a pastor or a priest, but he was influential. Let's read on now. Daniel chapter 6, 5 through 9. It says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and the the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. I like this. This is is really interesting to see how these guys handle themselves. You see what they're doing is they come to Darius and they start to flatter him. And you hear, Oh, king, oh, king, you're so wonderful. Oh, king, and they just start to play him. They're just playing him, and they're trying to get rid of Daniel, and they do so by playing this, this king, Darius. And it was clear that Darius liked Daniel. He was ready to appoint Daniel to a leadership position. But they come in, they flatter Darius. They say, oh, you're so great. Let's create this injunction that nobody can pray to anyone 
but you, because you're so great. And, and, and if they do, then they're going to be thrown into the, the den of lions. And so they flatter him, taking his attention off of Daniel and this guy that he should know, he would know, would not be able to not pray to his God. And so they flatter him, and he liked Daniel, and so these others didn't like it. Let's read on now. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knee three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So, that would be where the extraordinary spirit comes from. That would be this man who has done so well in public is a reflection of who he is in in private. This is the glimpse, verse 10, into his private life. It says that Daniel goes to his upper level penthouse and he goes there and he gets on his knees and three times a day he is praying, it says, and it says he is giving thanks. And catch this, it says as he had been doing previously. So in other words, he hadn't just been doing this for a few days. He didn't do this just as soon as the injunction came out so that he could stick it to the man. He did this, it says, as he had been doing previously. In other words, he has been doing this all along. All along, Daniel has been a man who has been on his knees before the Lord at least three times a day in his upper chamber praying to the Lord. This is Daniel. He is a man of prayer as he had been doing all along. And so that would be the key to the power of the life of Daniel very clearly as he had been doing previously. And so the natural question coming from this example of Daniel is, is this us? Is this us? Are we these kinds of people? Are we people who are devoted to come before the Lord? And if you want to make an impact for God, if you want to make a public impact for God, not for your glory, but for His glory, if you want to make an impact for the Lord, you have to be a person who is regularly in private with the Lord. And I say this a lot, but I can't say it enough. I really believe that it must be scheduled. In our day and age, it must be scheduled. So many of us don't have a scheduled time that we plan to be with God, and we simply think, when I have a free moment, I'll pray. But isn't it inevitable that free moment never comes, does it? Because we didn't say God is important enough for me that I will make it a part of my daily routine. I will make it a part of my schedule. Yet Daniel had this routine. Three times a day he would come before the Lord and he would pray and he, it says he would give thanks. And, and, and let's just be really clear. Most of us are, are, are pretty young in here. But it, it's been, been made pretty clear even in just my uh, you know, a few short years of marriage and having children that the older we get, the less time we have. And so we must put it on, on the schedule now. Um, otherwise, as we grow older, other things jump into our schedules, children and family and, and sports and all kinds of things. And if we don't make it a priority now, it won't be a priority. And, and there's no f- offense in here intended at anyone. But I think the most common thing we hear is I'm just so busy. I'm just so, so busy. I can't be there on Sunday because I'm just so busy. I can't be there uh, with you, God, because I, I, I'm just so busy. And, and, and that's so common, and it's, 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 it's so often 
the excuse among us. And I just want to tell us and just show us from the, the testimony of Daniel that it is not because you're just so busy that, that you're not having this, this private time with the Lord. It's because other things are more important to you. It's not that you're just so busy. If you really have no time, that would also mean then that your TV never got turned on this week. If you really have no time, that also means that you weren't browsing Facebook this week. If you really have no time, it means that you didn't go to the gym this week. If you really have no time, you didn't sleep in an extra hour this week. If you really had no time. The truth of the matter is, we have time. It's just that other things are more important to us than the Lord. You're busy. I'm busy. But I tell you who was far busier than we are. Daniel. I mean, think about the life of this guy. He was running one of the major, the major world empire of his day. But it says three times a day, he would leave his office. He would go to his penthouse. He would go up there and he would pray and give thanks. And his prayer and giving thanks wasn't what we often use the, the, the phrase give thanks for. It wasn't rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. It wasn't three times a day, oh, how ironic we have three meals a day and he was praying over the meals, thanks for the food, God. And, and then he would eat it. It's lunch break, breakfast break, dinner break. That's not how it worked. He was focusing on the Lord and, and, and giving thanks and praying to the Lord. And as a result, he becomes highly influential and his spirit becomes extraordinary or excellent as we read here in this translation. He had a, a private prayer life and a private life with the Lord that made him influential and, and, and powerful. And so put it on the calendar, and you will if it's important to you. Make a date. Make a date. What happens when you make a date too is you know if you made the date, you also know when you stood God up. You know what I mean? Think about uh, my, one of my first dates with Becky. I remember exactly. I'll never forget it. I ate uh, a lot less than her, which is kind of funny because she, you know, she's a lot smaller than me, and so she was embarrassed that I you know, just ate a little bit, and she ate a ton. It was, it was great. But imagine if when we set up our, our first date, I, you know, I said, Becky, meet me at Ruby Tuesday, 7 o'clock, and I might be there. I might, I might show up. But that's how we treat the, the Lord, right? I, God, here, here's when I want to do it, and, and I, might actually, I might actually be there. So she would dump me, but God is so faithful. He says, no, no, I'm here. I'm here. I'm waiting for you. And so let's set a date. Let's be realistic and, and, and honor our time with the Lord, and you're going to begin to see God do some extraordinary things in your heart, and as a result, it spills over and, and causes you to be a person of impact and influence in, in your circle of, of influence. And, and so let's be this kind of, of people. Another thing that I think is really important as we start to round third base here is that it says Daniel prayed and gave thanks. He prayed and gave thanks. And, and, and so often we say gave thanks refers to the food and prayer is everything else. But in, in the Bible we see there's prayer and part of prayer is prayers of thanksgiving. But why would he differentiate here between prayers and, and giving thanks? I mean, doesn't giving thanks count as prayers? Why is it so important for him to distinguish as he records the record of his life and it seems as though Daniel distinguishes between prayers and his prayers of thanksgiving, giving thanks, because it has been really tough for Daniel. I want you to see this. It has been really, really tough. Captivity, and he says, I'm not going to defile myself. It gets 
greater and greater influence. But now here he's at this place. It seems incredible, but everybody just is out to get him at this point. They're trying to take him down. They're trying to get him thrown into the den of lions. It, it is tough, but Daniel says it's tough. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to pray, and I'm going to give prayers of thanksgiving often several times a day. I'm going to give prayers of thanksgiving. And what happens is we're talking about Daniel giving thanksgiving to the Lord for, for the blessings that God has bestowed upon him in the middle of the storm. It's so important for us to understand that in the middle of the storm, we need to be a people who are still giving thanks to God and, and not focusing and praying only on that issue, but giving thanks to God. Let me give you a powerful verse that I think will make it more clear what, what I'm trying to say. First Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. Does it say for everything, give thanks? It doesn't say for everything. I think eventually we will look back and say, God, thank you for everything. Thank you for everything, the good and the bad. We thank you for that. But right now in the middle of it, it doesn't say, God, thank you for cancer. It says in everything, in every life circumstance, give thanks. Pray prayers of thanksgiving. Always, it says, because this is the will of God for you. I like to Replace that word will occasionally with the word best. I think that helps us. This is God's best for you. Is that in your prayer life, if you would constantly also be lifting up prayers of of thanksgiving, rather than focusing on only the issues, give prayers of, of thanksgiving. This is God's best for you. Because God knows that when we begin to think about, when we begin to meditate on, and, and just tell him we're grateful for the good things, now suddenly we're focusing on what? The good things. And we're not focusing on the immediate problems. And so that is why it's God's best for us. Because when we're focusing on the good and the blessings, we start to find joy when we could only be praying about the difficult stuff. And we focus on that and dwell on that and become a people who are depressed and, and broken and hurting. And God says, focus on also the good things and I will give you joy. And so we see this private life of Daniel that in the middle of the difficulty, he says, I will continue to pray and I will be giving thanks even though it seems like everybody is out to get me and all the leaders were in fact out to get him. I will be thankful and I will give thanks to the Lord. And what happens is as he was committed to being with the Lord regularly three times a day, as he went outside of his room, he had this extraordinary, excellent spirit that impacted so many people and that earned him influence for the Lord in, in his kingdom. Can we pray?